Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith at the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have a chief of police with me today that I have wanted you to meet for quite a while because he's a, a man that I have admired. And, uh, and so I think you'll really enjoy his perspective on so many of the policing issues that we talk about every week here on the NPA report. And then also the things that, that we talk about in the media about how to support the American law enforcement officer. So I want to welcome to the show, Chief Darren Goodman from the San Bernardino, California Police Department. Chief, thanks for spending time with us. Thank you, Betsy. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, you didn't just, uh, you weren't just born being a police chief. Um, <laughs> I want folks to know about your whole law enforcement career. So tell us about your uh, career. I certainly was not born being a police chief and, and quite frankly, had no idea that that ever, ever happened for me. Um, I was one of those street cops. Um, and in fact, I started my career at the San Bernardino Ooh. County Sheriff's Department. And back in 1991, 92, I worked there for 27 years. I worked a variety of assignments. I worked patrol, obviously. I worked as a detective. I worked SWAT. I worked um, narcotics and matriculated up the ranks uh, and retired as a captain after 27 years. I got lured into uh, considering a job as a police chief for the city of Upland, California, which is in San Bernardino County, but probably about um, a half hour from where I was used to working uh, in in San Bernardino proper. Worked there for about four years um, in my first stint as a chief. Uh, and then about a year ago, I got uh, offered a job with the city of San Bernardino. So I accepted. Uh, for me, it was like coming back home, uh, considering I did most of my career in San Bernardino County and working for the Sheriff's Department, uh, where the San Bernardino Police Department is located is, is literally just blocks away from, from the Sheriff's headquarters where I grew up working. So you became a cop in the in the early 90s when uh, things were really bad. Yes. Um, you know, crime was high in the United States. We were losing, and everybody talks about how bad it is now. You know, cops are getting shot, killed. We got a lot of ambushes. Um, but in the early 90s, we we had more cops getting killed. Right. What made you want to go into police work? You know, um, I have to say it was a fluke. You know, I wasn't the kid who um, wanted to be a cop growing up. I didn't uh, necessarily have that as my desire. My parents were, were business people. Uh, my mother owned a beauty shop, and my dad... Um, had a construction company. And that's what I was supposed to do, you know, uh, by, by their plan for me. But um, things things just transpired where, you know, I, you know, went to college, didn't finish and was going back and forth with what I was going to do with myself and uh, worked real estate, you know, had all sorts of odd jobs, construction, you know, dabbling in the family business. And if you remember back in the uh, mid to late 80s, I believe it was when we had the, the big crash um, the the economic collapse, so to speak. Um, I needed a job, you know, and I wanted to do something that gave me stability. Um, but in my mind, when I even as I started looking at at city jobs and county jobs, um, being a police officer wasn't really on my mind. I'll never forget back back then. You had to actually go down to the human resources office. You know, everything wasn't online yet, right? And so I go down and. I'm asking for the list of jobs that are available, 
And so they give me this list and it's like a maintenance um, electrician. And then there was this deputy sheriff training. Well, I literally had to ask the lady, well, what is that? You know, I didn't know what, I, I didn't know what a deputy sheriff trainee was. You know, I knew what a police officer was, but a deputy sheriff trainee was, was not in my vocabulary at the time. And so she explained that it was akin to being a, 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 a police trainee, but just for the sheriff's department. So I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll sign up for it and I'll fill out the application and, and see what happens. But, you know, as soon as this economic situation is over, I'll go back to doing my real estate. Well, long story short, you no, know, I I actually I get into the academy after going through the process and uh, and I excelled. You know, I I I had a penchant for it. I I loved it. You know, I was you know you know fairly academic academically proficient, so that wasn't a problem for me. I was I was an athlete, so the physical part wasn't a problem for me, and I believed in what I was doing. You know, and I I, I fell in love with it. So. The rest is history. You know, I never looked back, never wanted to do anything else. And I just sort of felt like this was my calling. Do you think individualism is is getting lost in not just in law enforcement, but in today's society? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And not just not just individualism, um, which is certainly a, 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 an appropriate context to what I'm about to say. But I think the other part of individualism is is personal accountability. I think that that's the part that's uh, most dangerously being lost. You know, when when it's easier to blame everyone else for your problems, then it's impossible to focus on self-improvement because there's no acknowledgement of one's own responsibilities and, and own ability to impact change. So what do you say to somebody? I mean, you've arrested a lot of bad guys in in your career. What do you say to a bad guy or a bad girl who says, uh, look, it's not my fault. I committed this crime because I'm poor. I was a single from a single uh, parent family. Uh, You know, I wasn't breastfed long enough when I was two, Uh, you know, whatever. What's your answer uh, to people like that? Well, um, it's BS, of course. And I think that that's... um you know, quite frankly, a slap in the face to good, hardworking, poor people. Uh, there's a lot of poor people who don't commit crime. There's a lot of poor people who, you know, will go without and make sacrifices, uh, but still are able to obey the law and not become a criminal. Um, you know, my my family, you know, didn't always have a lot. You know, being, you know, uh, small business owners back in the 60s in Texas, um, you know, things weren't always fair and things weren't were, were definitely not easy. Uh, but committing crime was never an option. So I have to ask you, you became the chief of police of San Bernardino right in the middle of this three year demonization and vilification <laughs> of the American law enforcement officer. What were you thinking? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people ask me that and, and there's a lot of people who want me to go get checked out. Uh, <laughs> but, but um, you know, again, you know, I think that what I was thinking was the same thing. All of us who, who put on the uniform and where, where the badge think is that we want to make a difference. You know, there's, there's no cop uh, worth their salt who still suits up and boots up. Uh, that's not doing it because it matters, you know, or because it doesn't matter rather. They're doing it because they know it matters. Um, and so 
nothing's changed for me. No, I still get excited about this job. I still get excited about, you know, the ability to, um, you know, take crooks off the streets. You know, even though I'm not out there doing it every day, I have a, a fantastic team of people who do that. Um, you know, living vicariously through them and watching, you know, us transform this city one arrest at a time, um, you know, one one change at a time, you know, and, and not every change is, is brought about through arrest. You know, we do a lot of community outreach. We are able to impact lives, um, you know, through our, our civic engagement. And that matters. You know, that matters a lot. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, right now, most American police departments are incredibly shorthanded. Um, around the country, we've seen a lot of police departments um, who were defunded, who had money taken out of their budgets. Um, and when money is taken away, the two things that go, tend to get uh, destroyed are training, which I, I know you've been intimately involved in, and uh, and also community policing. So right. how do we reach our communities and restore that confidence while we're dealing with more crime and less cops? Well, you know, that's a that's a complex answer because um, you can't do it all, honestly. You know, if, if you don't have the support of your community, uh, of your councils, and when I say support, I'm talking about the funding that goes with being able to fill vacant positions. I'm talking about the um, the philosophical support, you know, that that goes with breaking the cycle of demonization. You know, let's get back to some some normalcy in the middle ground. And that middle ground is understanding that, yes, you know, cops are imperfect, just like every other profession is imperfect. We do make mistakes. But uh, the notion that uh, we need to throw out, you know, everything and start over or get rid of all of the things that allow us to be effective. Um, and and in that effectiveness, by the way, is determined by community trust that our effectiveness is determined by how much the community still allows us to be uh, in charge of them and in charge of their, their personal safety. So when we lose legitimacy because we have politicians um, and, and others who are, who are demonizing us and questioning our validity, then now we lose our ability to effectively provide the safety that people expect and deserve. So, so that part by itself is, is almost worse than taking away police budgets, because by delegitimizing what we do and delegitimizing our industry, you don't have to take away the budget anymore because no one wants to join police. What do you think it's going to take to change that? Because again, I travel around this country and there is not a chief or a sheriff that I talk to that is not having staffing issues and a lot of them are significant. I mean, you know, 5%, 10%, 20% and more uh, deficit in staff. There's not enough cops. Yeah. You know, Betsy, I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I almost want to knock on wood here because I'm actually fortunate that we're doing very well with recruitment and, and filling our positions has, um, has been very Fluid, you know, we've we've not had a lull in that. Um, in so fact, I need to tell everybody go to San Bernardino. So you please, me? please do tell everyone a uh, little little ad here uh, comes to San Bernardino. But um, right now we're authorized for 297 positions. That's our budget allocation, and I have 277 officers. You know, so I'm very close. You know, to my budget capacity. But but back to your question, what can we do uh, to fix it? I think that you know it will take 
a holistic approach. You know, I mean, all of the people who are who are a part of causing this this um, steep decline and causing you know this divide between cops and community, all of us need to be a part of fixing it. You know, we have a role to play. You know, we have to police ourselves better. We have to own own our mistakes better. Um, but at the same time, you know, those people who use you know real issues as an opportunity for political agendas and manipulated you know, public sentiment by only focusing on the bad and manipulating numbers, manipulating issues, you know, those people uh, are just as responsible for this. And until we have you know, all of those, those, those people at the table, so to speak, or acknowledging that you know, we can't get better as a society with, without law and order in place, um, I think we'll continue to have much of the same. Well, on that note, how did modern policing, do you think, get so politicized? I mean, we can go back and look at history, look at the 60s yeah. and uh, and, you know, some of the huge mistakes law enforcement made and how political things got, you know, and then you go to the 70s and into the 80s and then in the 90s, it got political again. Then it even kind of evened out. And now I, in my lifetime, I have never seen yeah. policing so politicize how did we get here and what are we going to do about it you know um i wish i i wish i could pinpoint it um i can't but i do agree with you it's it's more politicized than i've ever seen it too and i've been around over 30 years i think if i had to take a guess at it you know it would be based on you know just the perfect storm of um societal social uh and economic issues you know, when we look at, you know, some of the economic issues facing a lot of the cities, um, you know, obviously budgets are at the top of the, the, the list of woes for most municipalities. And we're an easy target when you look at the fact that police budgets, you know, occupy uh, the majority of most municipal budgets. So that makes us a target politically. Uh, it's an easy political talking point to say, you know, I'm going to run for office and I'm going to reduce the police budget. So that's part one. Um, then when you look at, you know, some of the social dynamics, you know, well, you know, police, um, when we're in the we're in the era of, you know, social change and, and you know, everything is is hyper focused on race. Well, police have had a history that's that's one that is closely intertwined with, with some of the more deplorable acts of, of, of racism uh, in our country. And, 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 and that's a history that's, you know, that's very well documented uh, and not something to run away from. Uh, and the reason I say it's not something to run away from is because we are leaps and bounds past that, but we don't talk about it enough, you know, and we don't talk about how, while, you know, a lot of other areas in the country, a lot of other industries in the countries in the country are in just as much need of, of you know increasing their diversity. A lot of police departments, and I can speak for mine particularly, we're almost a majority minority organization. Um, you know, I have a black police chief, I have a black commander and a Hispanic commander, a female uh, commander, and and we're majority Hispanic, female, and and other. So, you know, we. Are, again, we're not perfect, but we're much better than some of the media portrayals. And we're we're much better than we were, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, where, where a lot of the comparisons continue to be made. 
So, you know, to sum it up, you know, there's a lot of issues that I can point to that that made us a viable tool for a lot of folks' political agendas. And, um, you know, and I think that we've been a very useful tool, you know, whether it's the left or the right. You know, I mean, if, if you support law and order, you get painted as an extreme, an extreme right winger. Um, and and if you if you detest law and order, then you've just gained a whole lot of friends because there's a lot of people who who find it vogue to hate law hate law enforcement and hate authority. So we are the perfect poster child for those who want to, I guess, resist authority um, and resist law and order. Do you feel like putting people in prison is going to help us get a handle on the violent? crime that we're seeing now? Um, I, I think that we have to to accept the fact that prison cannot be excluded from the equation. Um, do I believe that we can arrest our way or incarcerate our way out of every problem? Of course not. Uh, we but we've never believed that. You know, and that's another that's another false label that's been put on law enforcement is that we think we can arrest our way out of problems and all we want to do is put people in prison. Uh, that's absolutely not the case. But once upon a time, before the decarceration movement and before the move to shift budgets away from law and order, uh, there were programs in prison. There were programs in prison that allowed for rehabilitation, uh, whether it was drug addiction, whether someone needed to go and, and find a trade, get their education, um, have anger management, uh, you know, take, take courses on, on family unification, there was a whole host of, of, of courses and, and training options available. And, and in fact, it was so much so that in most of the prisons throughout the United States, they started changing the name or including the term rehabilitation in all of almost all of their titles. You know, so if you if you look, you know, most most of the prisons, it's, um, you know, a rehabilitation center or, you know, some 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 variation uh, of that is, is a part of their, their title or at least a part of their mission. So I say, say that to say this, that while prison is not the sale end all, there are people who need to be separated from society because they are repeat criminals. They're, they're predators who, who prey on, on the innocent. And, and we can't ignore that. You know, we can't allow people who are a threat to everyone's quality of life and, and safety to continue to roam the streets without without impunity, you know. So, so I think there has to be a balance. You know, we can't just wipe prison out of the equation like we're doing now, uh, where where almost nothing, you know, can get you, you know, put in jail for more than a, you know, a couple of hours. Right, right. I mean, that's so it, that part is so so frustrating. I know it frustrates a lot of cops. Uh, it's, even frustrating, the, it's frustrating for me. You know, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, right. And, and, and that. And I want to say something, you know, it's it's not just frustrating for cops, because when when we focus on ourselves, then the the perception becomes, oh, see, they're just they just want to lock people up. You know, no, it's not it's not personal. Um, you know, I'm I'm OK, no matter what, um, because I can protect myself. But it's our oath. It's what we signed. We signed up to protect communities. When I have business owners who are telling me in tears that their life savings and everything that they work for is is about to to go up in smoke because they can't continue to operate with the amount of loss that they're experiencing from 
daily thefts, you know, that's heart wrenching. You know, when I have people, you know, you know, we we talked earlier about you know uh, poor people or people who you know are are considered on the lower end of, of the uh, socioeconomic scale. Well, when I have someone who's you know worked their whole lives, they 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 own a home, but you know, hey, they they live in an area that has had some decline, but you know, they're homeless, you know, and they they've lived here for forever. The house is paid off, but they can't afford to move. Well, now that area has 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 gone into peril and decline because of crime, the criminal element, and we can't do anything about it because we arrest these people and they're right back out on the streets. You know, again, that's heart-wrenching to tell those people we can't do anything about it. You know, and I'm sick of telling people that we can't do anything about it because of what's happening in Sacramento. Right, I, right. I know, I know you're in a different state, but for me, my, my legislative yeah. problems are coming from Sacramento. Right. And that's happening all over the nation, you know, and thankfully we have leaders like you that are, are and your people who are trying to do something about it. So, Chief, I wish we had three more hours to talk. Uh, but in the last few seconds here, tell people where they can find you, where they can find the department. And if they want to come to your department, how can they apply? I love it. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at SBPD underscore chief. And our department is on multiple social media platforms. Um, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. But most importantly, if you want to join our department, uh, go to joinsbpd.org. That is fantastic. Chief, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. And if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.